Hey guys, welcome to our weekly news show here on Backstage with Millionaires. I'm Caleb, your host, and there's a lot of news to catch you guys up on this week. So let's jump right in and talk about Zomato's IPO. Now, I'm filming this video on Thursday, so the IPO actually hasn't finished yet, but now it has. I'm filming this on Friday, just a couple of hours after Zomato's IPO ended. And yes, I did go back through the footage and realize that the snapping happened off screen. Sorry about that. But this IPO has been a massive success. I'll be putting some numbers over here so that you can understand just how massive it has been. But I think it's been big for Zomato and also all of India's entrepreneurs. A lot of people praised the company. They congratulated Zomato on social media, which was really cool to see. And I think there are a lot of startups out there that have been looking at Zomato, waiting to see how this IPO actually went down before actually making the leap and deciding to go public themselves, or at least to announce that they're planning to go public. So we should see, now that Zomato's IPO has been a big success, we should see some other Indian startups following suit in the next couple of weeks and months, making announcements about this stuff, filing draft red herring prospectus, prospectuses, I'm not sure how to say that one. But anyways, this IPO was oversubscribed 38.25 times. That means that the demand for the shares that Zomato allocated to this IPO was 38.25 times higher than the actual number of shares that they were offering. These shares were extremely popular. This is something that we don't see a lot with normal companies, let alone startups. So this is really, I would say, unprecedented for an Indian startup to see this kind of response to their IPO. Now, if you didn't get a chance to buy shares in Zomato during this IPO, fear not because it looks like the company's listing date could be the 27th of July. It's not too far away. And this is coming to us from media reports. So it hasn't been confirmed by the company yet and you should take it with a grain of salt, but this would be the day when Zomato is actually listed on the stock market for anybody to buy shares. All right, one more piece of news before we go back to me filming on Thursday. We've talked in a couple of videos now about how Paytm has been planning to go public. And now they've taken the first real step towards making that happen by filing their draft red herring prospectus, in which they announced that they're planning to raise 16,600 crore rupees during their IPO, which will make it the largest IPO in Indian history. Of this 16,600 crore rupees, 8,300 crore rupees will be in the form of primary shares and 8,300 crore rupees will be in the form of secondary shares. And if you don't know the difference between primary and secondary shares, allow me to explain it in the next news item. So while we're on the topic of IPOs, it looks like MobiQuick is also planning on going public. They filed for an IPO and also submitted their draft red herring prospectus with the Securities and Exchange Board of India. And according to that DRHP, they're planning on raising 1,900 crore rupees through this IPO. 1,500 crore rupees of that 1,900 crore rupees will be raised by issuing fresh shares, also called primary shares. And the remaining 400 crore rupees will be raised through the sale of secondary shares. That means that MobiQuick's investors are gonna be selling their stake in the company and making a bunch of money in return, and they're gonna be selling that stake to the public in the form of shares. Now, something to keep in mind about MobiQuick is that they are a loss-making company, and their losses are actually increasing. 
Between the financial year of 2020 and the financial year of 2021, their losses went from 99.92 crore rupees to 111.3 crore rupees. And according to their DRHP, they're not planning on changing that trend anytime soon. In fact, they're planning to sustain future losses as well in the name of growth. Also during that same time period, MobiQuick saw their revenue decline by 18%. So I'm not sure how this IPO is going to go down. If you have any insights into this or an opinion on it, then definitely leave a comment down below and let me know. Do you think that this IPO is going to go smoothly or do you think that the public is going to be a bit hesitant because of these numbers, these losses, and this decline in revenue. All right, next up, this video is sponsored by Jungle Ventures. Yes, they are continuing to sponsor our videos, and the reason for that is because so many of you guys went over and checked out their YouTube channel last week when we talked about it. So if you're one of those people, then big thanks to you. But if you aren't, let me tell you a little bit about Jungle Ventures and why you should check out their YouTube channel. So Jungle Ventures is one of the oldest and one of the biggest VC firms operating across Southeast Asia, and they've taken a special interest in India's startup ecosystem. Some of their Indian portfolio startups include LiveSpace, Leap Finance, Turtlemint, and Moglix. And those last two specifically have actually been featured on their YouTube channel. They've interviewed the founders of these companies, and just a couple of days ago, they posted part two of their interview with Rahul Garg, who is the founder and CEO of Moglix. And they talked to him about his journey as a solo founder and how he built his company from a startup that nobody had really heard about into a unicorn that everybody is talking about. So I would definitely recommend that you check that interview out. It's just seven minutes long, really bite-sized and so full of insights if you're an entrepreneur yourself or if you're thinking about starting up someday. We'll be putting a link to that interview as well as Jungle Ventures YouTube channel in the pinned comment and the description down below. And thanks again to Jungle Ventures for sponsoring this video. All right, on with the show. Next up in the news, we've got a bit of a weird story here. People are receiving packages from Misho that they didn't order. Now, if this happened to you, you would probably tell the delivery guy that I didn't order anything and, and you need to take this package back to wherever it came from. But let's say you live in a house full of people. Maybe they're your family members or your roommates and they're not home right now. And so when the delivery guy comes and hands you an unmarked package, Michel packages don't have any branding or markings on them, and you see that your address is written on that package, you're gonna assume that maybe somebody in the house ordered something. And so the delivery driver asks you for cash on delivery, you hand them the cash, he leaves, you open the box, you didn't order it, you find out that nobody else in the house ordered it. Now, if you're anything like me, then you're probably wondering how this could happen. And more importantly, why would it be happening? So according to N-Tracker, who originally broke this story, there may be little to no downside for sellers who are doing this kind of thing. And in fact, there may even be a significant upside where you have a couple of sellers, we can call them rogue sellers, who are taking a bunch of products, they're sending them off to people who didn't order them, and presumably a large percentage of those deliveries are rejected. But there's no penalty if that happens. The seller is not penalized, they're not reprimanded, there's no slap on the wrist, there's no downside. And the seller can take those products and then send them off to other people in the hopes that those deliveries will be accepted. 
And there will be a small percentage of those deliveries which are accepted. People receive the package, they pay for it, and then that rogue seller gets to keep a commission on that sale. According to Michaud, who did respond in a blog post to that story from Ntracker, these kinds of ghost orders make up less than 0.01% of all of the orders on their platform. But they did see the number of orders on their platform grow from 3.1 million orders in the financial year of 2020 to nearly 20 million orders in the financial year of 2021. So 0.01% of 20 million is 2,000 orders. But Misho did say less than 0.01%, so let's give them the benefit of the doubt and cut that number in half and say that there are 1,000 ghost orders in the financial year of 2021, which is still a pretty significant number. I would say that that's newsworthy, that's cause for Ntracker to write a story about it. Now, like everything else that we're talking about in today's video, we'll be putting links in the pinned comment down below to both Ntracker's story as well as Misho's blog post. So if you wanna read up more on this and become more informed on the situation, then definitely check out the pinned comment down below for those links. All right, next up in the news, for a while now, restaurants have been unhappy with the exorbitant commissions charged by platforms like Zomato and Swiggy. These commissions can range anywhere between 22% and 25%. And for a lot of restaurants, that is a huge percentage of their revenue, which is disappearing every single time somebody decides to order through one of these platforms, which has spawned a bit of a movement called the Order Direct Movement, where these restaurants are encouraging their customers to instead order through the restaurant's own website or by calling the restaurant and ordering over the phone. Now, Swiggy, instead of fighting this movement, has decided to capitalize on it with the launch of Swiggy Direct, which you can think of kind of as a Shopify for restaurants. Through this new platform, Swiggy Direct, restaurants can set up their own digital storefront, they can take orders from their customers directly. And then of course, Swiggy handles the logistics. They pick the food up from the restaurant and they deliver it to the customer, just the same way that they do through their app. And there will be a delivery fee for that, uh, which will vary depending on the distance between the restaurant and the customer. And there will also be a 2% payment gateway fee, as well as a 2.5% base fee just for using this service. But when you add up all of those fees, they will be significantly less than the 22% to 25% that Swiggy normally charges restaurants just for using their normal Swiggy app. Now, look, I have mixed feelings about Swiggy Direct. On the one hand, I do recognize that it is a genius business move, right? They're taking something which was a threat to their business and they're turning it into an opportunity to make even more money. And it does make a lot of sense, right? There are a lot of restaurants that hate the fact that they have to use Swiggy. They hate that 22 to 25% commission. And there are many restaurants which have chosen not to get onto the Swiggy platform because of this commission. And so now Swiggy might be able to convert some of those restaurants into customers. But at the same time, Swiggy is taking a lot of the wind out of the sails of this movement, which you could see as a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you see their actions. If you look at their actions the way that somebody who really wants to see this movement succeed would, somebody who just wants to see Swiggy fail at any cost, then you're gonna see this as Swiggy being a wolf in sheep's clothing saying, 
all right, guys, we'll compromise. We'll, we'll meet you halfway, but you got to stay within the Swiggy ecosystem so that we can keep taking money from you. Right. But if you see it as a more honest gesture from Swiggy's part where they are genuinely meeting their restaurants halfway and saying, look, guys, we get it. 22 to 25% is a lot of money. And so what we're going to offer you here with Swiggy Direct is 4.5% with delivery fees on top of that. You know, you could actually see this as a very good thing for restaurants and for this entire industry. So definitely leave a comment down below. This is something that I've thought a lot about and I'm still on the fence, but try to convince me one way or another. Is this a good thing or not? All right, moving on to some funding news now. This isn't really startup news. Flipkart is not a startup, but they've raised $3.6 billion from GIC, the Canada Pension Plan Investment Board, SoftBank's Vision Fund 2, and Walmart at a valuation of $37.6 billion. Many people are speculating that this is Flipkart's pre-IPO funding round and that they're going to be going public at some point in 2022. All right, next up in the funding news, Ola has raised $500 million in a funding round led by Tim Asek and Plumwood Investment, which is an affiliate of Warburg Pincus. And this is noteworthy because the last time Ola raised funds was two years ago, before the pandemic. And of course, the pandemic has really, really hurt their business. But according to the company, they're actually planning on going public. We don't have a timeline for this yet. They haven't given us a date or even a year. And technically, they have been planning to go public since at least 2017. And they were actually working on becoming profitable up until the pandemic when that went out the window. It was impossible for them to achieve profitability or even think about it during the pandemic. But they've used the pandemic now as an opportunity to improve their unit economics. And according to the company's CEO, Bavish Agarwal, over the last 12 months, we've made our ride-hailing business more robust, resilient, and efficient. They're also outperforming Uber in India right now by 10 million monthly active users. In the month of June, Ola saw 32 million monthly active users, while Uber only saw 22 million. So I'm curious to know, if Ola tomorrow, say, announced that they were going to go public at the end of 2022, is that something that you would be excited about? Would you want to participate in that IPO or would you avoid it? Let me know what your thoughts are in a comment down below. And before we move on to the next topic, Ola Electric has also raised $100 million in debt funding from the Bank of Baroda to finish phase one of their future factory. Oh, and one more thing about Ola Electric. This is currently breaking news at the time of us filming this video. They have opened up pre-registration for their electric scooters with a reservation fee, and that's a refundable reservation fee, of 499 rupees. All right, next up in the funding news, social e-commerce startup focusing on groceries, DealShare, has raised $144 million in a funding round led by Tiger Global Management, at a valuation of $455 million, which is a huge jump from their previous valuation of $50 million. So DealShare was founded in 2018, and it enables people living in tier two, three, and four cities to buy products using social sharing and group buying, 
which helps to increase DealShare's average order value from somewhere between 1,192 rupees to 1,416 rupees, which of course lowers the cost of deliveries for DealShare and it also increases their unit economics. All right, next up in the funding news, news aggregator platform InShorts has raised $60 million in a funding round led by Vi Capital. And if you haven't heard of InShorts, they take news articles from across the web and condense them down into just 60 words so that they're easier and shorter to read. All right, next up in the funding news, online self-publishing platform for Indian language writers, Pradalipi, has raised $48 million in a funding round led by Crafton, who are the owners of Battlegrounds Mobile India and PUBG. Now, if you want to know more about Pradalipi as a platform, or you want to know more about the company's founder, Ranjit Pratap Singh, I actually interviewed him back in 2019, and you can check that interview out up here. It's one of the earliest interviews that we posted on this channel, and as a result, it only has 1.4k views. But basically, Pradalipi allows Indian language writers to publish their books or their comics on this platform for people to either read for free or people can sign up and pay a subscription to access that content if it's considered by the writer to be premium content. Now, currently, the platform has more than 370,000 writers, and it also has more than 30 million monthly active readers. And they're going to be using these fresh funds to expand internationally. All right, that is all the startup news that I have for you guys this week. I hope you enjoyed the video. And if you did, like I always say, I probably sound like a broken record by now, but it really helps us out when you hit the like button. And I know you're thinking about it. If you haven't done it already, now is the time. It's right there. You just one click, one tap. And also, if you haven't already subscribed, now would be a great time to do so. We post new videos every single week about Indian startups entrepreneurs, and the latest news. Also, as always, big thanks to all of our Backstage with Millionaires members, our unicorns, and our decacorns. I think it's really cool that we've had some people as members now for more than six months, and I love seeing that little badge change color. So big thanks to all of you, and also thanks to everybody who's been applauding our videos recently. It really blows my mind when People send money our way for content that we're already making for free, and they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart. They're doing it because they appreciate what we do here, and they want to see us continue to do it. So once again, thank you to everybody who financially supports this channel. But even if you can't afford to financially support what we do here, just the fact that you've made it this far in the video is plenty. So in closing, thank you guys so much for watching this episode of Backstage with Millionaires, and I will see you in the next one.